Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. I can't emphasize and stress enough the importance of submission in your life and in mine. Jesus shows us here in the garden how precious it can be. Webster's Dictionary defines submission as this, to yield to authority, to permit oneself to be subjected to someone. Mutual submission is one of the bedrocks of any culture and any relationship, any family, any church. Submission is key. A lack of submission brings about rebellion and anarchy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado is pleased to present Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Today, Pastor Ed, you're going to revisit the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, most of us think of this as a place of prayer, and rightly so, but it's also a place of submission, as you'll point out in a moment. Why do you think submission is so widely resisted and looked down upon in the world as we know it? Well, Larry, as we launch into today's Bible study, you know, it's submission is a big issue in our lives because we're so independent and we live in a culture that values independence. We talk about independence. The birth of our nation is independence. And it just speaks to our heart's desire to be independent when it comes to everyone and everything, especially our creator. It's a part of our humanity. It's a part of our flesh. It can, it can be very, uh, very sinful, but it also can be a place of offering. It can be a place of obedience. It can be a place of wrestling for sure, but in the wrestling, God wins. He will get his way in our lives. I, I like to say it this way, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. You can go the easy way or you can go the hard way, and I'm telling you, God's desire is for us to go the easy way, the place of humility, brokenness, submission. What a gift. So let's get right into the text and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts today. And now let's lean in and listen to today's Bible study. Again, we're in John chapter 18 with Pastor Ed. John's Gospel chapter 18. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And we're going to continue on in our verse-by-verse study. We've spent quite a bit of time on this sub-series of prayer. And we looked at it from John 17, and then we finished John 17 together and went over to Matthew chapter 6 and the Lord's Prayer. Then we went into the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll revisit this week. Uh, We went in and looked at the Garden of Gethsemane in some depth last week. And today we continue on in the shadow of the cross because the cross is just up ahead. And Jesus has finished his teaching ministry. Uh, He's done teaching. Uh, He has done giving um, the instruction. We know that because of John 17. When he's praying in verse 4, he says, I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And it won't be long now that Jesus will be hanging on a Roman cross. 
crucified for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine. Now remember, the disciples don't know this yet, but they're about to experience the absolute worst day in their lives just in a few days. They don't know that yet. Jesus has been preparing them. We know they have things on their mind. We know that they're concerned. We we know that they're fearful. We know emotions are flowing because John 14 opened. Remember, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he's taking the time in these final moments, beginning in John 14, to, to settle the disciples and prepare them for the worst day of their lives. They don't know that yet. We do because we can look back on it. But also I want you to know that they, the worst day of their life is going to be followed by some of the best days of their life. And I just believe the Lord would have me to share that with you today because some of you woke up this morning and, and it's maybe not the worst day of your life, but it's been a bad season in your life. It's been a difficult time. And you're in a season that's been hard. It's, it's been tumultuous. A lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of pain, a lot of emotion. And like the disciples, better days are ahead. Better days are ahead. Or we could say the best is still yet to come. But better days are ahead. From, from the crucifixion of Jesus, it would just be three days until the resurrection of Jesus. And he comes back and spends time with them and encourages them. I just, just for some of you, it's a word from the Lord to you. It's a, it's a word just to your heart that better days are ahead. Just stay with him. Stay close to him. As we learn in John 15, the safest place and the best place for you and me on the earth today is to be abiding in Jesus Christ. To be taking all of our nutrients and all that we need for life from the vine as the vine dresser takes so good care of us. With that in mind, notice in chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. That garden has a name, and his name is Gethsemane. We looked at it last time. Gethsemane means olive press. And unlike the modern-day manufacturing that we have today, they would have the olive presses in the garden near the trees. They wouldn't take all the olives and then transport them. Most, they would take care of it right in that area. And the olive press, the olive press, Gethsemane, would speak of crushing. This time in the garden was a time of crushing. And what they would do is take the olives and they would crush them and squeeze them in order to produce oil. And what we're finding with Jesus is he too would be squeezed and he would be crushed in order to produce the oil of salvation for your life and mine. It would be in this very garden where Jesus himself would be crushed as he submits to the will of the Father. In his time there, it was so difficult and so hard that Luke, Dr. Luke gives us insight of what was going on. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, we're told that being in agony, speaking of Jesus, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This garden, this area, wasn't the first area where a great betrayal took place. For homework, jot it down in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Those of you that were with us when we studied through 2 Samuel, you'll recall that it was in this very area in the Mount of Olives, in the Brook Kidron, in that whole valley there, that Ahithophel betrayed David. And Ahithophel, you recall, is described by David as the man that used to take sweet counsel together, a very trusted friend. 
he too was betrayed in this area. And now as we put the pieces together throughout the Bible, comparing, well, comparing the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane, or what the Bible does, the Bible says that Adam in the Garden of Eden is the first Adam, and the Bible speaks of Jesus as the last Adam. And there's a great contrast between the two. Consider this. In the Garden of Eden, man first lost his relationship with the Father through sin. The first Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, that relationship was restored through submission and sacrifice. In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam tried to hide from God unsuccessfully. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the last Adam bared his soul to God the Father. In the Garden of Eden, men, man was driven out because of his sin. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prepares the last Adam to die for sin. You recall in the Garden of Eden, a sword was taken out and men were driven out and that sword was put there to never enter again. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, that sword was put away and a man was healed. And as one commentator put it, that which was lost in the Garden of Eden will be reclaimed in the Garden of of paradise, all because of Jesus submitting in this garden of the olive press, Gethsemane. We included the garden of Gethsemane because there was a short prayer, actually three short prayers of Jesus in the garden. And the emphasis in Gethsemane really isn't on the prayer of Jesus as much as it was the prayer of submission. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. When you think of Gethsemane, think not only of the olive press, but also think of submission. That's the most important part that's taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane is the submission of the Son to the will of the Father. Remember his prayer. He's praying in agony. He's like, if there's any other way this cup can pass, if there's any other way you can accomplish your will, Father, any other way you can save humanity, any other way but the agonizing path of the cross. And then Jesus says, no, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's a prayer of submission. Church, I can't emphasize and stress enough the importance of submission in your life and in mine. Jesus shows us here in the garden how precious it can be. Webster's Dictionary defines submission as this, to yield to authority, to permit oneself to be subjected to someone. Mutual submission is one of the bedrocks of any culture and any relationship, any family, any church. Submission is key. A lack of submission brings about rebellion and anarchy. And submission is something that God has ordained. We're not going to go to every single verse, but let me go through a few verses with you so that you can understand the importance of submission. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, we're taught children are to be submissive to their parents. And every single parent listening says, Uh, Come on, stay with me, guys. Every single parent says, amen. Amen. Of course we want that. And yet there's a lot to say about parents. (laughs) So get your amens ready, parents. Children, be submissive to your parents. Secondly, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17. Christians, be submissive to church leadership. (laughs) Servants, or today modern-day employees, are to be... Uh, subjected to and submissive to their masters or employers. And that's a big... Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Submission gets rough, doesn't it? It gets tough. Just consider this for a second. Submission isn't necessary when you agree with someone. When you agree with someone, you do everything willingly and joyfully and you say, let's go. But submission is really necessary on those points of disagreement. That you would trust that God would put somebody in your life to teach you or to lead you or to guide you or to help you and you would trust God to submit to him. Of course, submission doesn't relate to sinful things. Submission doesn't relate to, you know, like for example, the next one is holy wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. First Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Amen. Crickets. All the men are saying amen. That's not, no, 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 no. <laughs> like for example, wives, and we get this question often, especially in unequally yoked situations or when a husband is given direction that's not biblical or not helpful. You, you submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So if your husband comes and says, okay, honey, the Bible says submit to me, so let's go rob a bank. Let me give you the answer. The answer is no. We don't rob banks. And we don't submit to those that say, let's go rob banks. The Bible actually teaches the opposite of that. We don't run with those that are taking us towards sin. But wives, submission is a very key part of the marriage relationship as unto the Lord. God will use it in your life. Not only that, the Bible says Christians be submissive to one another, Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says younger believers submit to your elders, 1 Peter chapter 5. And then in James chapter 4 verse 7, it speaks of our complete submission to God. Turn over now to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at that briefly. Submission is needed. And when you think of Gethsemane, think not just of the garden. Think not of just the olive press, but think also of submission. And I dare say that God would include this in our Bible study today because there are some people listening in that have an issue with submission in their life. You might even be wearing it as a badge. I'm, I'm unsubmissive and I don't need to put up with that and I don't need... Listen, you're missing out on a key element in your relationship with God by your lack of submission. Submission is required when we don't agree. That's where God really brings out in us a faith and a trust that God has put that person in our lives. Not for sinful things, not for sinful directions, not at all. But certainly, we, we've taught this in our servants class here at the church. When you're preparing to serve, wherever you serve, in whatever church you serve in, where there's godly leadership, that's to be matched with our godly submission. That's God's heart and will for us within the body. But notice this, there's also submission among us as believers. The way that we are able to enjoy the, the fruit of God's presence among us, that we enjoy the family of God is through our mutual submission. And you'll notice in verse 19, this is a church that's enjoying God. This church in Ephesus is a church that's really enjoying the relationship that they have with one another. And notice what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's a key element with us together, learning how to submit to one another. And it brings joy in our lives. And then Paul speaks about wives submitting. And then he speaks about husbands loving after we learn that submitted relationship here in the family. The idea of submission, church, is an important one. The truth of submission is key. 
We learned the Webster's Dictionary, but from the original Greek language, that word submission comes to us from two different Greek words, one meaning under and the other meaning in order. And the definition of the original language is to submit or arrange under or to obey. They used it very often within the military. It's a military term. And and it basically means to get in order and to submit. It means to stay in the direction that you've been given and to come up under. It's something that we willingly do as unto the Lord. The arranging and the ordering of troops. But it was also used in the first century to describe voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, and assuming responsibility. And you can see when you have this big argument where there's no movement, when one person gives in, the other person assumes responsibility, God can begin to work. Another way of looking at that is when one person repents and the other forgives, it opens up the channel for the Holy Spirit to work. We can't emphasize submission enough, especially in our day and age where submission is not valued. It's dismissed. The, the, the idea of submission in our culture simply is you submit to whatever your own ideas and do whatever you want no matter what other people. This whole existential idea that the end always justifies the means or, and it's not true. We need to let the Lord justify to us what the means are to his end, his purposes and his plans. And here we are as we look at our time in Bible study, we're submitted to the Lord and mutually submitted to one another. The Garden of Gethsemane is a place of submission. Notice verse 2. And Judas, now at at this point, we should all be booing Judas. We've done that at every service. So next time I say, and Judas, I want you to boo him, okay? You ready? So I'm going to read it from the beginning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, yeah, we should boo him. The betrayer, the one that turned on our Jesus. But don't forget, we learned last time we were together, there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's a little bit of betrayal in all of us. Self-centeredness, looking out for ourselves. So when you boo, make sure you remember yourself. You don't want that attribute in your life. You don't want to go down as a betrayer, do you? I don't. I want to go down as somebody that was loyal and someone that was faithful to the very end. And so when you think of Judas, you know, if it was a movie, we would be, it would be so fun, it would be so great, and then the lights would go down in verse 2, and Judas, boo, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. How many times in three years has Judas been with Jesus in the garden? Watching him, praying with him, praying for him. This was nothing new to Judas. And yet, he doesn't come alone, notice. Then Judas, (laughs) then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, that doesn't tell us much, but let me tell you what it means. Over 600 Roman soldiers is this detachment. Judas came with 600 hundred Roman armed guard soldiers to take Jesus. What did he tell them? 
What did he tell them about Jesus? That they would need 600 men to come and take. Not only that, 600 men, but there's the religious leaders of the day, the officers and the chief priests and the Pharisees that are putting all this this conspiracy together. And not only that, they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. What? Now this is taking place around the Passover. That's where they shared the last meal. Those of you that study such things, you know Passover is a full moon. A full moon means it's very bright and easy to see. You don't need lanterns and torches. You don't need 600 soldiers. What has Judas said? I don't know what he said because it doesn't tell us what report he gave in its entirety. But whatever he said, Jesus was misunderstood. He wasn't there to ambush anybody to come. They weren't hiding to try to jump out after him after this, these guys. He wasn't going to fight. And, and haven't you learned that some of the greatest difficulties that you have with others have happened over misunderstandings? Someone misunderstood you. You misunderstood someone else. Maybe you believe the gossip or whatever it might be. Judas coming certainly did not tell them the truth except that I know where he's at. He's always in Gethsemane. I know where he's at. I know where to find him. I know the garden that he frequents. And here they are, 600 soldiers, lanterns, and it's just ridiculous how often we find ourselves misunderstanding the Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives. Here's Judas. He lived with him for three years, ate with him for three years, listened to him, served with him. Judas is one of the guys for sure that I believe is going to stand before Jesus in the judgment seat and say, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? And Jesus will look him square in the eye and say, yeah, but I never knew you. There's no relationship. I like what commentator Warren Wiersbe writes. Let me quote him. Judas was not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, though he belonged to the disciple band. In the garden, Judas stood with the enemy and not with Jesus' friends. When people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they are committing the sin of Judas. Let me repeat that. Those that are hypocritical, those that are pretending, when people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they are committing the sin of Judas. It is bad enough to betray Christ, but to do it with a kiss and the sign of affection is the basest treachery of all. It was born in the pit of hell. If you consider this scene and how 600 people, it's more than just about less than half this room, this side, that's how this, if every seat was full, this side was with to take Jesus and his 11 disciples. Or this side, if you, I don't want to leave you guys out. Okay, this side, if, you, if, if it was, I mean, this side of the room would go into a small little garden. I mean, it, it's Judas completely misunderstood the Lord. It was all for himself and a few bucks of which he quickly regretted. He so misunderstood Jesus. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. 
We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's Five-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's Five-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 